The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Friday morning in the East Coast, where a lot of things have happened since we last talked. Uh, Brad Stevens doesn't coach the Celtics anymore. Danny Ainge doesn't run the Celtics anymore. The Lakers have been eliminated. The Blazers have been eliminated. The Clippers are on the verge of elimination. Oh, my God. Okay. To help us sort it out going into a weekend where the second round will begin, one of my favorite guests, one of the people's favorite guests from Sports Illustrated, formerly of 538, formerly of the Wall Street Journal, formerly of some other place that I probably don't know, Chris Herring, how are you? What's good, man? How are you? Oh, I'm good. Let's roll. So the Lakers lost, and they're out, and they... um, Anthony Davis limped onto the floor for a few minutes, held his groin almost immediately, and walked off the floor. It was really kind of an uncomfortable... Um, uncomfortable sight, and they just got rolled. I mean, the Lakers, it, it was a nice hard-fought third quarter. They got it to 10 in the fourth quarter, but they're out. And let's start there because they are the Lakers and they are LeBron James. And I'll just put it to you like this. The Nuggets aren't going anywhere, and my God is my belief that the Nuggets could have and maybe would have won the title this year had Jamal Murray not gotten hurt. That belief has only gotten stronger. The Clippers, TBD. Luka is not going anywhere. The Jazz aren't going anywhere. The Suns aren't going anywhere. Other teams are rising. I'm probably forgetting some because I'm tired. Are we going to look back at the LeBron AD era as 2020 was it? 2020 was the peak, or are you not? Or or are we all being premature? Anyone writing them off as as this year is over? They're not going to win another title. Is that premature? Uh, I wouldn't blame people for writing them off, at least some. I mean, I think we learned quite a bit here. Um, And, you know, honestly, even going back to LeBron's first season with the Lakers, um, the thing I'm critical of with the roster construction of that team, you kind of needed to use that year as uh, we're running out of time here sort of year as far as, you know, I get that they wanted to kind of take their time and see what the, the youngsters could do at the time. Um, But the truth was, you know, LeBron was up there age-wise then. Uh, They win the title last year, which, you know, a lot of people, I I see the reaction that, you know, when you win a title, you kind of just kind of take whatever happens after that. You can live with whatever happens after that, particularly with how the Lakers had done, you know, in the years prior to LeBron getting there. Uh, Not well, not well. Lots (laughs) of nice playoff appearances. Right. And I get that. And, and, but I also think that the Lakers and their fan base are probably different. The expectations are probably different when you've got one of the greatest players to ever live. The truth is now, and I don't know that I fully appreciated this when I look back on what I wrote at the very beginning of the season with their, their off season last year, they've got to make that roster pretty much perfect, uh, which is something that a lot of times you generally don't have to do when you've got, two superstars, but these are not standard superstars. LeBron. Why? Why are they not? Um, because LeBron is 36 and Anthony Davis gets hurt as if he's 36. Um, he does get hurt a lot. I mean, it's undeniable anymore. You can't just dismiss it as, well, this is a fluke, and he felt funny that time, and that was a fluke. It's just, oh, there's just a lot of flukes, I guess, and the flukes don't stop. And LeBron, I believe, is number two now all-time in minutes played regular season and playoffs, and so – you know, again, you can dismiss it as um, Solomon Hill dove into him. Uh, I don't even remember what happened two years ago when he got hurt. Uh, um, but, you know, th- the guy who was once indestructible, like, you couldn't hurt him. It was impossible to hurt him. It didn't, didn't matter what happened. He never got hurt. He never missed games. The only time he missed games was when he t- decided to take a vacation uh, when he was with the Cavs. Didn't feel like playing for two weeks, went to Miami, 
chilled out, got his back right. Um, now two times in three years, he's missed significant chunks of time, and he's second all-time in minutes. Like, the expectation should be, yeah, he might still be the best player if he's healthy when the when the lights are brightest. But the if he's healthy thing is, like, we don't know. We, like, like age is a real thing for him even, finally, right? Finally. We all said he's impervious. It's never going to – well, maybe it happened a little bit. Exactly. And that that's all I'm saying. And really, at this point, the reason I'm saying that this isn't a standard – two-man, you know, superstar duo. Um, Because even if AD is out and LeBron is healthy, I worry about how much pressure that puts on LeBron's body at this age. I mean, we saw that this year. And like you said, who knows whether he gets hurt if that particular play doesn't happen with Solomon Hill. But, man, you know, they were decent, okay, barely staying afloat kind of when LeBron was there. Um, Certainly against 500 teams when he was playing without AD in the regular season. Um, they have that stretch where they've got to play extremely hard and kind of maybe come back a little bit earlier than they would have liked to. LeBron was right back out of the lineup as soon as he came back initially. And obviously Davis, you know, was hobbled that entire time as well and into the playoffs. And then you saw what it resulted in with AD once the playoffs actually started. So I, my fear now after watching how bad the Lakers were without AD and just LeBron is that, um, if they're not both totally healthy, I don't really trust them to do all that much, despite how great they both are individually. Which, by the way, is true of any team built around two star players. And and that's why one reason the Nets were hell bent on getting a third star player, because two of their three star players have been a little bit injury prone recent years. And, and the third one, who was never injury prone, had a hamstring thing this year. And so that's the ultimate insurance. Um I think this is fairly obvious, but it's definitely more likely that the Lakers do not win another title with LeBron than it is that they win a title with LeBron. I think that's like true of basically any team. And given what we've seen this year, it's it's and given what the West looks like, it's it has to be true almost by definition of the Lakers. Um, I just don't know what they can do. They don't have cap resources. They traded all their picks and stuff to get Anthony Davis. They don't have, like, I don't know that there's a huge appetite for Kyle Kuzma, who just sort of ran around and did stuff for a few games in these playoffs. Um, and, and look, I, there's a lot of hindsight today and, and, a lot of, uh, and a lot of sort of backtracking. I won't do it. I liked the Dennis Schroeder trade. I thought the Lakers were going to be better this year or at least better equipped for the playoffs than they were a year ago. You know, I was, I was on TV with Tim Legler this morning, and he's talking about how the Lakers need to get younger, faster, get another shot creator. And I'm like, that's exactly why they got Dennis Schroeder. That's exa- everything you just said was why they traded Danny Green, an aging two guard, and um, the 28th pick in the draft for Dennis Schroeder, a trade I liked, even though, look, I'm not dumb. I know why Danny Green is always on these good teams because he's a really great role player, a perfect role player next to a guy like LeBron. I just thought the trade-off of increased shot creation as LeBron gets older and older and older was worth it. The injection of a 27-year-old in his prime was worth it. And this season, it didn't really work. He was not nearly as good as he was last year when he almost won six man of the year. And he was awful for two-thirds of this series against Phoenix. And again, he was in the health and safety protocols right before the playoffs. I mean, like, we're all, we're all, like, in, 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 there's like a rush away from the simplest explanation, right? Like, and the simplest explanation is, this was a weird season, a short turnaround. They were exhausted from the bubble, and their third best player 
was in health and safety protocols. And the other thing, Chris, is before before we get into next season, I don't want to hear any more. And I wonder where you stand on this, actually. I don't want to hear any more besmirching of the bubble achievements for the Lakers or the Heat just because they lost in the first round. I don't want to hear how it was a fluke, how Tyler Hero was a fluke, how the Heat, because of their borderline militaristic culture, were a perfect fit for the bubble, how the Lakers had a soft path to the title, how the layoff helped LeBron and AD. Everybody had to play in the same conditions. Other teams benefited from the long layoff. Other teams may have suffered from the long layoff. The bubble, if you played better than your expectations in the bubble, to me, that's a badge of honor more than it is some sort of asterisk on your title. That was a tough circumstance and you proved it. So I just don't want to hear. And even if even if you were more well-suited to that environment, so what? Everybody had to play in that environment. That was the environment. There's no other environment for that season. And it was still hard to win a title. I don't want to hear any of that. <laughs> a lot to respond to. I, I'm, I'm more inclined after last year to just say, look, it, it was a crazy scenario, but this year has been just as crazy, if not maybe crazier, at least there was the level playing field last year. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to belittle anything with that. I mean, I think the Lakers very easily could have won the title last year anyway, had it not been for the bubble. Um, By the way, they might they were up 2-1 in this series and looking pretty good in game four before AD got hurt. Like, it's, it's really that simple. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say this. I, I think that this series was fascinating for any number of reasons where – after game one, you know, had it not been for Chris Paul's injury, you know, I, I had the Suns winning in seven to begin with. So whatever. But um, the Suns looked really great. And, you know, then once Chris Paul looked a little bit more comfortable with the shoulder, they looked really great again. But like you said, that was after AD got hurt. And so who knows what would have happened at, at totally full strength. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, just to put it bluntly, it, it's interesting because I kind of have a list of guys where it's like, massive question marks around what you want to do with them for next year if you want them for next year if you're looking to move them kuzma's right at the top of that list and i think you know you weren't gonna have real questions about what to do with them last year when you win a title but you had a really good opportunity to see what he can do as kind of more of a lead guy without two key players your, your two best players and you had an opportunity to see what he can do when he's with those guys back and when he's just playing you know with one of those guys in the lineup and man, he just disappeared. Um, after after what I thought was a pretty solid all around season for him. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I he became a better defender, a better off ball mover, a cutter, a better passer. Like, and then it just in the playoffs, it just all went poo poo. Yeah, there's that. I mean, there's you know, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I had some questions. I remember when they decided to to just let Dwight go and and brought Harold in, and then you know the thought of that before they got Gasol, and then. Them getting a soul made me feel more comfortable with the idea that they brought in Harold essentially to replace Dwight Howard. Um, the way they handled that, the Drummond expedition, there's just so much weirdness that they kind of have to figure out. Um, Schroeder, like you said, I, the, I'm, the Drummond expedition sounds like an ill-fated voyage to the Arctic in like 1895. Like the Drummond expedition, remember they all ended up eating each other because they were freezing to death on the Drummond expedition. I love Oregon Trail so much. Uh, th that is still one of the craziest stories I've ever heard historically. But, I mean, it, there were times where, I don't know, you could make the argument that there was cannibalism whenever AD and, and um, Drummond were on the court. The ADs were on the court. So who knows? But it um, there's a lot for them to figure out. I mean, it's interesting because Schroeder, they were trying to pay him before – 
Um, how far do they go? Can they go with that here? And yeah, it was a weird ending to a season. They've got a whole lot of stuff to iron out. And like you said, at this point, way more confident in the idea that someone else will step up in the West before the Lakers do again. I mean, it's always possible with those guys, but they really need to be healthy first and foremost. And I think even with that, um, may need some better guys around their two stars to do it. That's uh, to be clear, if they are both healthy, they're absolutely in the conversation next year. Sure. I'm not writing. Oh, I'm not writing. I don't think I'm writing LeBron off until he retires. Basically, like if they're both healthy, they look like the championship favorite this season in, in the middle of the season when they were 22 and six or something like that. So I'm not. When I say they're less likely to win a title, to to they're they're more likely to never win a title again with LeBron than they are to win one. That's not saying it's over or anything like that. That's just that's just reality. You might be the wrong audience for this, but. Does, does LeBron losing in the first round for the first time in his career, everyone wants to talk about his legacy and Jordan. Does this, does this impact your view of those things at all? No. I mean, he, he he's 36 and he's been in the league since he was 18. You've referenced a couple times now that he's played more minutes basically than anybody ever. And we're not even factoring in all the Olympic, you know, all the Olympics and everything like that. No. I mean, I, really what we should talk about if we want to do that you don't want to say, let's look at a guy's prime, because obviously LeBron has won a title outside of his prime just last year. But, I mean, what happens outside of that, particularly when you're talking about a weird injury burden season, uh, you know, not the bubble season, but one that was impacted by the virus, where his team was specifically impacted by the virus. Um, I'm willing to just kind of look at that and say, you know, it's incredible that he went this long without losing in the first round at all. There's also a certain irony to a first-round loss being held against LeBron because for for a while in the MJ-LeBron thing, LeBron's ability to get to the finals every single season almost worked against him because he got there so many times. He lost, and he lost a bunch. Jordan, of course, never lost in the finals, but LeBron got there so much more, gave, giving himself more opportunities to lose, and he only has the one really bad series against the Mavericks where he personally fail the others you know you chalk it up to the Warriors the Spurs whatever um and and, and now he loses in the first round and people are, are are sort of rushing to bury him for that Jordan lost in the first round Jordan lost in the second round the difference is Jordan's career has this linearity that is perfect it's just a perfect arc that is so appealing to just in, in storytelling of fight the Giants lose fight the Giants lose overcome the Giants win never lose again then play for the Wizards let's not talk about that and play <laughs> and, and play and play baseball too for some reason um and and so LeBron's career is jagged it has ups and downs he changes teams he he ushers in the era of player empowerment and they also I've, I've also seen it talked about well now he's in the West right now now it's it's tough in the West obviously it's tougher in the West the East has been not good for most of LeBron's career. Here's a stat for you, Mr. Herring. Michael Jordan, during his six title runs, the four top East seeds, aside from Chicago, okay, so not including the Bulls, on average, winning percentage 640, net rating plus 4.8 per 100 possessions. So 640, 4.8. LeBron, eight straight finals. Average, same same subset of teams. 623 winning percentage, pretty damn close. 4.5 net rating, pretty damn close. So it's not as if Jordan's East, once he conquered the behemoths, was markedly better than LeBron's East. So to me, this is just a wash. It doesn't bother me at all. And it's time to move on. 
Do you have any parting Lakers thoughts other than between Caruso, Horton Tucker, Schroeder, Harrell has a, they have a team option or they have a player. Harrell has a player option. You might pick it up considering you didn't even play. They got a lot of questions. They just don't have a lot of avenues to answer them. No, not really. I mean, I think honestly, I mean, they're the defending champs. So I get that the attention is there. I get that, you know, LeBron, this is LeBron's team. Um, this outcome, like I said, this outcome could have happened anyway, and maybe would have happened anyway, even if AD had been healthy. Um, you know, if, if Chris Paul had been healthy, at least, um, if, if both teams are fully healthy, the Suns were legit all year long. The thing that I kept pointing to before the series, the Suns were cohesive all year long, where their five-man lineups had played together more than anybody's by far um, against the Lakers team that was still trying to figure out how to gel to some extent while also staying healthy. And, um, you know, so there, there's – it's one of the few times I kind of put a lot of emphasis on something like that. Um, and it, it doesn't stun me that we're talking about this. I just think that it kind of uh, flamed out spectacularly when you consider the, the AD injury and everything like that. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went Let's talk about Denver-Portland, which wrapped last night with Denver going to Portland, falling behind by, I think, 14 at one point, and coming back to win emphatically in the fourth quarter against a Blazers team that ran out of gas. Um, this is a disaster for Portland. They're, they're fully healthy, other than Zach Collins, which, by the way, that doesn't get talked about. The Zach Collins injury is a big deal. It doesn't get talked about because he didn't play the entire year. He was going to be an important part of their team. Other than that, they're healthy. The Nuggets are missing their second best player. Jamal Murray is still their second best player, despite Michael Porter Jr.'s ascendancy, just because of his pick and roll chemistry with Jokic. Missing their fourth best player in Will Barton. Uh, missing PJ Dozer, who would have played a role in this series that went to Marcus Howard, probably. Um, starting Campazzo, 
and Austin Rivers at guard, and you can't beat that team, you can't even get to a game seven against that team, that's a disaster for a Portland team that traded two picks to get Covington, went all in, not all in, but made a win-now move for Norm Powell. Nurkic is healthy now and playing lots of minutes when he wasn't fouling out. And I just think, you know, this, this flashes you back to 2018 when New Orleans swept them and they almost fired Terry Stotts and it felt like Armageddon was coming. And, and then they came back next year, really an incredible bounce back season. They make the conference finals and you know me, Chris, I'm not going to sneeze at any conference finals appearance. Ask the Clippers. Ask the Clippers about the conference finals. And, and now this just feels like, and it's not just that Damian Lillard says we're not good enough. It's back to the drawing board and does the cryptic Instagram thing. I want to get Instagram just to post a cryptic message at one point. <laughs> just to do, I, I don't even know what I would do. Uh, anyway, it's not just that. It's not just that there's been rumblings all year about Terry Stott's job status. Uh, it just feels like, this was the this was the one that feels the most demoralizing to me. And, and before we get to the Blazers thing, Nikola Jokic just absolutely tore them up. And I don't know what it's going to take for people. Like there was this whole thing about are we going to look back at Jokic as a regrettable MVP choice? Here are Jokic's playoff numbers through 39 games. Are you ready, Chris? Yeah, go ahead. 26 points, 11 rebounds, six and a half assists. Let me just say that again. 26-11, let's round up just for fun. 26-11 and 7 on 53-43-92 shooting. Get all the way out of here with any Jokic skepticism. The dude is an absolute monster in the playoffs. He tore the Blazers. Whatever the Blazers thought they were trying to do defensively, it was all. They treated, at the end, they treated, they were so scared of Jokic getting any kind of territorial advantage, any space at all to do anything, that they began treating him like Dirk. And if you watch game five, Monty Morris would run pick and rolls. Monty Morris would run pick and rolls with Jokic. And we realized in game five, they're not helping off Jokic at all. Nurkic is basically just hugging him. Um, I can just go to the rim and get layups? Like, that's all I got to do? And you sit there and you think, what are the Blazers doing? Like, their defensive strategy could not be give up layups like that doesn't seem like a sustainable strategy clearly that was not their end goal but they were so scared of giving Jokic any room to shoot pump drive pass that they started treating him like Dirk and just by being there and standing there now he did score 33 points a game but just by being there and standing there and setting picks he tore the Blazers apart and now it feels like if not Armageddon something Ageddon is coming in Portland I mean, so I I look back and I think I've referenced this on your podcast before, so I don't want to belabor it. Um, I, I'm pulling up a byline of mine from when I was with 538 from 2017 that kind of strongly suggests breaking them up. You know, the Dame CJ backcourt, which I know, like you said, you don't want to poo poo a Western Conference Finals appearance because of how hard it is to get there, particularly with the team that has flaws. Um, but the roster construction of the team has more or less been the exact same for years now. And I, I went through and looked at it. This is a team that has had essentially had now a bottom 10 defense and a top 10 offense for four times in the last six years. So, so the, the general idea of this team has more or less been the same with the, with the two same top guys. Um, and 
quite frankly, it's it's kind of unreal what you just said about Jokic and the way that they were defending him, given that <laughs> Nurkic, even when Jokic wasn't the one getting the ball, he was just involved in the screens and allowing Morris to get to the basket, that Nurkic was still fouling out for more than half the series or half the series or whatever it was. And how costly that was for their defense. Basically, they had no shot when he wasn't on the court. What was it? They were a plus 12.9 per 100 possessions, Portland, when Nurkic was on the court in the series. They were minus 18.9 per 100 possessions with him off. And I even tweeted last night <laughs> watching the game. Um, I said, oh, huh, you know, look how great Portland is when Nurkic isn't collecting fouls like baseball cards. The, sto- the other story of the series was... With Jokic off the floor, the Nuggets were plus 10. They won the non-Jokic minutes, wow. which you, you, which is a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, but that, that goes back to what you were saying about the, um, about the fact that the Blazers having the guard rotation that they do and not being able to beat this Denver team with backups and you know and, and guys there's no there's no spin. It's a disaster. Yeah. It's a, and, and by the way, that's no disrespect to Denver. I, I I have written and talked so lovingly of this Nuggets team since that season-ending win streak in 2018 to force the winner-take-all game against Minnesota, which they lose, and they lose and they fly back, and Jokic gets on the plane and goes row by row to everybody on the plane and says, I'm sorry we lost. We're going to come back next year better for this. We're going to win. It's going to be fine. I'm sorry we lost. And Tim Connolly and everyone else is looking at Jokic being like, Oh, we got something here. This team is tough as hell. They are resilient as hell. They will never give up and they will never back down from anyone. And by the way, who the hell knows who's winning the West at this point? But I'm not counting any of these. Whoever gets out of this Mavs Clippers series, I think would probably be my slight favorite. But I'm not, maybe Utah's my slave. I don't even know. But I'm not, I'm not counting Denver out of anything, even without Murray. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I guess to get back to Portland, with all the stuff you talked about before with the teams in the West and what does that mean for the Lakers, it's just really hard to feel that way about Portland. Obviously right now, but even before this, it was kind of hard to see exactly what Portland was doing that really engender a whole lot of hope for the future. I mean, there's a ton of excitement around Dame. He's easily one of the two or three most fun players to watch when he has it going. He's comical. That game five was comical. And, and by the way, when they look back at that series, what no one will talk about in that game five, because all we'll remember is the Lillard shot and the BS foul call and all the overtime, blah, blah, blah. The first half of game five is where Portland lost the series. When they got down by so big and had to come back and they were so incompetent defensively, if they just hang in that half, they may steal that game. And this is a whole different day. That and um, I think it was Micah Adams posted after the game was over. Nobody but Dame did a damn thing in the two overtimes. I mean, like they were like one for 12 or one for nine or whatever it was outside of Dame in those overtimes. So, I mean, there's more than Dame on that roster, but it, it's, it's, just a, it's just a very flawed roster that, um, you know, I thought that they would be a little bit better on defense. Kevin o, um, O'Connor said, you know, he didn't think that they'd be much even with Covington defensively, and he was right on that. So there, something needs to shift. You know, Terry Stotts, I think everyone can admit, is a very good coach. But sometimes stuff kind of runs its course, whether it's him, whether it's a player, whether it's him and a player. Uh, a, a number of things, I think, have to probably change there. 
And, um, you know, quite frankly, I remember last year saying after the Rockets flamed out, um, you probably need to have the hard conversation about Harden and what you can get for him at this age. And quite frankly, Dame is basically at the same age that Harden was last year is right now um, to where you have to at least think about it. I think you only broach it if Dame says that he wants to consider that himself um, because it doesn't get much better than him. Um, the other thing I would say is that you haven't really explored what the roster looks like with a second co-star next to him. Um, and so, I, you know, I wouldn't be in a huge rush to explore the Dame stuff, but um, everything probably does need to be on the table. That would be a last resort, but certainly changing out the guys that play around him, I think. And I think Nurkic even said yesterday – he has to see whether he wants to be back or whether that makes sense for him. So, well, I've got a spoiler alert for Nurk. He's going to be back unless they trade him because his deal is non guaranteed, which makes it more appealing to Portland. He's going to be back. I think he misinterpreted his own contract, um, uh, which is, you know, look, I wouldn't know the specifics of my player contract if I were a player. So here's the, here's the, here's the spot that Portland's in. Trading players like Damian Lillard is painful for a small market franchise, particularly one who has already traded draft equity to load up around that player. So you're behind the eight ball if you go into a rebuild already. I don't think the Blazers will do it unless exactly what you just said, unless he goes in there and says, hey, I I've given more than everything to this team and this community. I think it might be time. And that has not been in his DNA, period. In fact, he's built an identity around not doing that. Right. You know, he's the one that just that eviscerated Paul George saying, keep taking the easy road. I'll, I'll be all right up here and I'll wave you goodbye out of the playoffs too. Um, that doesn't mean that that's forever, but that's been part of his brand, so to speak. Um, the flip side of that is, well, could you trade McCollum for something that fits better around Dame? And I think the tough spot there is the league, other teams view C.J. McCollum as a very good player who's a number three guy on a great team. And I think the results in Portland bear that out. The gap between number one and number two and maybe number one and number three is too big for Portland to compete on the biggest stages. So if you trade C.J. McCollum, it's not like you're going to magically somehow get a great number two player in exchange for him that fits better with Dame. What you're really trying to get is an equivalent player on the NBA's total hierarchy who fits better with Dame. And flipping a number three for a number three who fits better, I don't think changes your world um, as, as as Portland. Like, I'll just, I'll just give you a name. This is out of thin air. There's no rumors behind this. Because I was thinking of fake C.J. McCollum trades. And I thought, well, what if the Sixers flame out? Like, would they ever move Ben Simmons for this and that? Well, they're not going to move Ben Simmons for C.J. McCollum. Like, that's not a good trade for Philadelphia. You'd have to throw in a lot of other stuff if you're Portland. Tobias Harris? That seems like roughly, you know, Tobias Harris, like, was maybe a should-be all-star, would have been all-star. Like, that's not changing your life if you're Damian Lillard. Like, like you're not, that's not changing my place in the Western Conference. And if I trade C.J. McCollum for just rebuilding stuff, young players and draft assets, well, Damian Lillard is just going to look around and say, wait a second, what happened? We just got worse? Like, that's not okay either. So I think Portland is in a pretty tough spot that <laughs> that if, if they can't find a way to meaningfully upgrade at the high, highest level around Dame, like not just, you know, turn, turn you know, Carmelo Anthony's minutes into something and turn Canner's minutes into something, like all that would help. If you can't do the higher level upgrades, like I, I don't know how you don't at least 
have a secret spitballing session about what what where could we send Dame? Who would who would give us the most for Dame? And I have ideas, but I just it just you know I don't know that they'll get there though because he's a top ten player in the NBA, and he's an incredible. He he is a he is. People pay to come watch him play. People renew their season tickets to come watch him play. Like that's a very rare thing. And he's an extraordinary leader and an extraordinary person who means a lot to that franchise and that community. Like you said, I, I think the the most important part of what you just said is that you have the conversation if he wants to have the conversation. But also, and, and something that I guess I didn't factor in as much as I should have, but should be obvious, you can only move the guys around him if it's putting guys that clearly at least appear to be upgrades. Um, I, when I was looking through at teams that could use a CJ sort of player, and I think a lot of teams could. CJ's really, really good. Right, he's really good. But at the same time, who are you finding that is a clear enough upgrade? For me, based on what I was saying about the – kind of the imbalanced seesaw that Portland has had for years where they're, they're so much better offensively than they are defensively. Um, I would, you know, to me, I was thinking about a team like the Knicks even where they clearly need somebody, you know, CJ could potentially be closer to something of a number one for them um, or at least kind of a co-number one with somebody like Randall. But I don't know that they, they have a lot of guys that project well defensively or well enough defensively. But I don't know that they've got enough of a frontline guy assuming that they, you know, I don't see the Knicks wanting to give up somebody like Barrett for CJ. Now, if Barrett is kind of a consideration for someone like Lillard, I could see that, you know, and, and the Knicks may be entertaining that. I think you would probably have to if you wanted someone of Lillard's caliber. But I don't know. It's weird. The Knicks have a lot of guys that are nice players, but I don't know if it's enough if you're the Blazers to want to move the, off the, the, the Knicks are really the epitome of this dilemma where if you trade CJ McCollum to the Knicks and they're the right place to look because they have assets, they have young players, they have a ton of draft picks, they have the Dallas picks, which don't look great, but you know, whatever. Um, and they have a, a gazillion dollars in cap space so they can make lopsided trades. Sure. What am I getting back as Damian Lillard that makes me feel good about the 2022 Blazers. Exactly. Nothing. Nothing. Like I like none of those young guys. They're all cool. Like I don't really care that R.J. Barrett might be. You know, R.J. Barrett was solid this year. I don't care that he might be more than solid in three years. I care if I'm Damian Lillard. Right I care about now. Now the Knicks are going to be active this offseason because they are exuberant. Despite the fact that they just got rolled by Trey Young, who twirled his little mustache and took a bow, and it was awesome, by the way. The bow, and then the line about they have shows here. Yeah, we got shows here, and we do take a bow after the show. If he does that again, someone should throw flowers at him or something. Um, that was awesome. Uh, despite that, they are very optimistic, and they should be, that they have reestablished themselves as, hey, this is the Mecca. We are competent. We're building something. Now they got a big decision to make with Randall, who turned into a pumpkin when the lights got bright and started missing all the jump shots that he was making during the season. So was it a fluke? Was it not? We'll see. But they've reestablished himself. And if you don't think the Knicks are going to try to get into the Damian Lillard whatever, even if there is no Damian Lillard whatever, even if Portland is like no and Dame's like no, the Knicks are going to try to make some inquiries. And they have all that stuff. Like that, if you're going to blow it up in Portland – that's another place to look. Do you want to hear my other Damian Lillard places to look? Just sure. fake. Sure. Fake. Let me be clear. These are just fake. This is me making up fake things. There is no anything about any of this. No. This is just me in my office doodling. Doodling. 
Would you trade Jalen Brown for Damian Lillard? Whoa. So I, I have that name literally on my list right now. I, I have Boston as the other team. That's weird. And I, I, I was going to – you and I were texting this morning, and you were like, let's come up with fake trades. And I, I, we've had this conversation before where I, I, I hate fake trades because I don't feel like I understand the value of it well enough. I don't know who's eligible, eligible to be traded within free agency stuff. But I had him on the list with Boston. That's weird that I, you and I are on the same wavelength with that one. So I probably would. My thought was that I don't know what Brad Stevens would be comfortable doing, but I absolutely. It's, I, 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 it's going to take me a while to get used to that. I know. And so that was kind of my, my big thing is, you know, to some extent, too, whether Brad Stevens has more feelings invested in it than maybe somebody like Danny Ainge would. But I had him on this list. And, and really, I only had the Knicks and, and Boston that I was really considering. It, it would be crazy to think of Dame being moved in the West. So I don't even really think that's a consideration. But Boston's one of the few teams that makes sense that has enough guys to where it makes sense that has another A1 sort of star that makes sense to pair Dame with so that he's not doing so much. Can I give you my sneaky one? Sure. My dastardly one. There's one team that you never can count out when a big name becomes available. They owe a pick to, to I think, the Thunder in 2023 that is problematic. They'd have to lift the protections on that pick to unlock a couple more first-round picks to trade. But if I'm the Miami Heat, I'm throwing it all at Portland. I'm throwing everything but Bam and Jimmy. Hero, Achua, Robinson, and a sign-and-trade because I can do that. I can sign-and-trade him and trade him to Portland. All the picks I've got to get... And, and maybe that offer stinks if you're Portland. Maybe Hero Hero had a very disappointing that's post. That's what I was thinking. That's exactly bubble year. They were the other but, team I considered, and I just I without maybe it sounds crazy, but like without Bam, I don't know. I'm giving I'm giving you. You want only top one protection. You want unprotected. Unprotected right. hurts. Unprotected really scares me. I really want a top one protection. But if I can't, if I can get Dame, Bam, and Jimmy together. That is a problem for the rest of the league. I just don't know if they have enough. But if, again, let me be clear to Portland fans. This is all if. If, 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 if the unlikely cascading series of events happens where this becomes a real actionable thing. If I'm Pat Riley, I'm making the call. I'm, 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 I'm saying, hey, look, this was a fluky year. Tyler Hero, he's part of our core. Riley said yesterday or two days ago, he's part of our core. He's a big part of our team. We love him. Achua is going to be a stud. We just couldn't find minutes for him. Here's all our picks. Robinson is one of the best shooters in the league. Blah, blah. It just may not, it just may not get the job done. But I'm, 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 I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> what about this one? Would you do um, – see, Portland would, again, need probably a considerable amount more. But this team has more. What about Brandon Ingram? That was one of yeah. This is weird, Zach. Uh, that was one other one I thought about, and it was weird because I my my concern with that one too was that man, New Orleans has looked so bad defensively, you know. And whatever you're sending back, if it's Ingram, I mean, he's talented enough to to pull the trigger on something like that. But just Portland doesn't get any better defensively. I mean, they 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 obviously have to move some stuff around the margins anyway. It shouldn't stop you from making a deal like that. It, it's probably one of the better things you'd get offered, though. And and arguably, we had this conversation when Harden got traded, the idea about being able to have the sort of player you want to build around. Um, yeah, it, it, it's feasible. It would be better to me than maybe not getting – than just getting picks and no players. Because I don't think Hero's on that same wavelength at all. 
But if you want picks, Miami might be better. If you want just a star talent, I think Ingram projects a lot better that way. So I could see it. I don't know that it would be enough, but I could see it. What? There are a couple of the Pacers are going to do something this summer. I just don't think they make particular sense in this discussion. I just wanted to say the word Pacers. Pacers. <laughs> um, the craziest one that would blow up NBA Twitter is what if the Sixers just flame out in the playoffs? You know, and Bede's injured. What if Simmons doesn't look up to it? They already tried to trade Simmons for Harden. Simmons for Lillard feels like a, a thing that is not unreasonable to punch in the trade machine. That's all. I just but again, we're far from we're far from any of this, but I just this does feel like the summer where at the very least there's gonna be semi cosmetic changes in Portland and maybe and maybe something more. Um Let's spend a few minutes on uh, Denver and Phoenix, which is a conference semifinals that I'm excited for, despite the fact that we've got injuries uh, between Chris Paul's shoulder and all the people on the Nuggets mash unit. I think this is going to be a fun series. Um, What are you interested in about this series? What's an X factor for you? What's something schematically that you're looking for? What do you got? So I'm I'm really, I don't know if intrigued is the right word, but I mean, even just trying to spitball what this series might look like is just so difficult. I mean, these teams played three times this year, but all did it within literally the first month of the season. So there, and watching those games and seeing Gary Harris and seeing Jamal Murray and you know, it, it's we're so far removed from that. Booker didn't play in one of those three games, and so there's just, there's just so little to take from those matchups. Um, with how long ago they were and, and everything else. So what I'm curious to see, you, you mentioned before with Nurkic, obviously just really hugging uh, Nikola Jokic. Um, and in some ways, Monty Morris really going off because of it in a way that, you know, I don't know that we've really ever seen him look for his shot as much as he was, him being as aggressive. And, as and, and by the way, they don't win that series without him, I don't think, because Portland because of their desire to stay out of any rotations for Jokic was going under on every other Denver ball handler, Compazzo, Rivers, whoever, under, 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 under. Right. Morris was the only one who they respected enough to sometimes go over and get themselves in trouble. Right. So for me, I, I mean, what, what I struggle with if, if, I'm, if I'm a Denver fan here is that um, the guard play, obviously, that goes without saying, obviously, from Booker, you know, Paul even injured um, and – and obviously a campaign that the guard play is going to be a lot better in this series. And can Jokic be so great in this series to where when the guards are either evenly matched or maybe advantaged sons to a bigger extent than it was with Portland. Um, can you, can you win this series with that disadvantage at that disadvantage without so many of your top guys? I mean, I'm, Obviously, you can't count Portland out here. Um, or I'm sorry, you can't Denver. count Denver out here. I'll count, I'll count Portland out in the second round. I'll uh, yeah, it maybe it's safe to finally do that as we're talking about how they need to overhaul everything in their organization. But, um, I mean, Porter Jr., anytime you're, you're just starting to think, oh, you know, do, does Denver, can Denver do this? You know, Michael Porter goes off for 20 and a quarter. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. I just – I, I, I tend to lean toward the Suns here. I just kind of feel like they have more. I, I feel like no one's going to shut down Jokic necessarily, and I don't think Phoenix will either. But it seems like they've at least got 
a body there that, that can do more. And hopefully Aiton stays out of foul trouble. I did notice that one of his foul outs this year came against Denver. But again, this was the very, very, very beginning of the season. Um, and, you know, Denver did take two of three from them. But again, with Murray and, and with a completely different rotation, including guys that, you know, at times weren't even in the league at, a, at the point, you know, that they are now. So I, I, I like Phoenix in the series. It's not by a huge margin, but I, I do feel pretty comfortable in them. Uh, I, I do wonder if Monty Williams will attach Aiton to Jokic minutes-wise, basically, much as the Blazers did with Nurkic, because Kaminsky, God bless him, has no shot in hell no. against Jokic. Um, the wild card to me is is Paul's shoulder, because I think we even saw, look, the, the Lakers, the Suns blew the crap out of him last night, but I did, I did think we saw they've become very, very dependent on Booker to create offense. And he was up to, I mean, Devin Booker is a stone cold killer. This is, this is, this is a great month for those of us who have been holding Devin Booker stock for six years. Um, um, but you know, one guy against the Nuggets is going to be tough and they need like, no one's guarding Paul outside the perimeter because they know he doesn't want to shoot threes. Um, that, that could be a little bit, um, a little bit, by the way, I have an important question. Why is it that no one, including me, just says pain. We all say campaign. I know. The guys, is it because his name is an actual word, like presidential campaign? No one says pain or cam or what. It's always campaign. Anyway, that's, I guess it's because You're campaign totally is right. right. And I'm just annoying. I annoyed myself just thinking about it as you said that. Even we could call him Cameron Payne, and we, re we refuse to do it for some reason. I don't know um, why. My love so for politics, baby. I watched Jokic's post-ups against Aiton this morning from the regular season. Aiton actually does pretty well in the right. post against, as well as you can manage against maybe the best low post player in the league. It's him or Embiid. He held his own. He's pretty strong. He's long, so his length bothered Jokic a little bit. Like he, he would have to loft those shots a little higher than he wanted to. Um, foul trouble will be it will be a big bellwether, I think. But Aiton did okay in the post to the point that. The Suns, the Suns did what the Blazers did, which is not send very much help. You know, a dig down here, a dig down there. But they mostly left Aiton to his own devices and said, we're just not going to let him pass out of double teams. The pick and roll will be interesting because, as you said, in the regular season, Aiton dipped off of Jokic to help on drives much more than Portland did. But that's because Jamal Murray was driving and Jamal Murray's injured. So that will be interesting. Um, I suspect that we will see Aaron Gordon guarding Devin Booker pretty early in the series, if not right from the jump, just to try to shut, I mean, no one's shutting him down, but try to limit him. I mean, we saw, poor Aaron Gordon guarded everybody. He went from, he went from uh, uh, Powell, Covington, Dame, CJ. Uh, I suspect we will see that. Um, and I, I, I think the, the Portland series was a good warm-up for Denver in this sense. It tested their pick-and-roll defense pretty heavily. Jokic came up to the level of the screen, Everybody had to help and zone up behind him. You know, three shooters, two on one side, one on the other. Where do you help from? They had rules for that. They followed those rules pretty well. Phoenix plays a very similar kind of game. They might be even more creative than Portland about moving those pieces around off the ball to try and confuse defenders. Um, Jokic did not come up as high on picks against Booker and Paul as he did against Lillard because Lillard is a five-alarm fire from 30 feet away. Um those guys are more mid-range guys, so that battle will be interesting. But I, I think schematically, the similarities between Portland and Phoenix, it, that, that, that served as kind of a warm-up for Denver. I think, I think it's going to be a long series. I think Denver could play the Washington Generals, and it would go at least six games. Like, Denver is just not capable of playing a short series. 
Yeah. I mean, it. I don't even know what I would pick the series in just yet. Like I said, I feel good about the Suns here, but there's no way I would say anything less than six. And like you said, I think by default now, I'm just kind of, unless you're picking Denver to win the series, that you have to just kind of almost go in thinking that Denver will somehow take it seven, even if they fall behind 3-1 like we saw last year. It is a different team from last year, but I don't know. Jokic, Jokic can create mismatches. That you know, Part of the reason I'm picking Phoenix here, either in six or in seven, is because of what you said. Because when you look at the film, Aiton looks like he holds his own just enough against Jokic to where it might not be just dominant. Um, and, you know, dominant dominance in this last series on some level was Jokic fouling out Nurkic, and that was huge. So as long as that doesn't happen, um, and, and man, I couldn't believe that, that Nurkic had four fouls in one quarter. Yesterday. I love that he gets no fouls at halftime. I was like, well, I don't have to pay attention to the fouls anymore. They're like, Nurkic has four? How? And it, it completely turned the game. I, I, I told you that I tweeted that thing about how he's collecting the fouls like baseball cards, and as soon as I tweeted that, he picked up four fouls in like the next eight minutes and everyone tweeted at me like, you spoke too soon, Chris. So as long as Phoenix stays out of that sort of trouble, as long as Aiden stays out of that sort of trouble, because like you said, Kaminsky would just be uh, toast, you know, if he has to guard him. As long as they can stay out of that, um, I really do like Phoenix here, whether it's six or seven. Um, I love Denver as much as anybody, but um, at a certain point, whether it's the cohesion and everything else we've talked about and just the fact that their rotations play really well together. Um, I feel a little bit better about Phoenix here than I do Denver. And Denver has to work harder now to get teams in rotation without Murray. And they were pretty good about that in the, in the first round, you know, Jokic will have to run more pick and rolls. Uh, he, they like having him set a back screen for Porter or vice versa to get, to get Porter cutting to the rim and Jokic's man has to dip off and then Jokic has some space, little plays where he can either take a cross screen or a, or a flex screen up toward the top of the arc. He has a little choice about which one to go. They're very good about that stuff. It's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun series. Uh, the second round, we didn't talk about Hawks Sixers. That's just sort of like that's a. It's Embiid is healthier. He's not. Um, it's going to be a fun series, uh, Mr. Herring. We can read your stuff at Sports Illustrated. Anything specific you want to pump up here? No, I guess as you mentioned Hawks, maybe I'll just plug. Um, I did a, a longer piece, um, pretty recent, I guess, the week before last, on kind of. You know, asking is this Atlanta's moment? To some extent, it was extent. a beautiful piece. It was a beautiful piece Thank I read. You it was so very much, nice. buddy. I appreciate that. But yeah, just on him and kind of the fact that you know, the crazy statistic that I kind of found in researching it that the Hawks had gone longer, ten years longer than any other team in the league. Twenty-eight years uh, this year, I guess, will be at least twenty-nine since the last time they had a top ten uh, player in the MVP race uh, in the MVP voting. And so how unusual Trey Young is for them, but also how it's kind of sparking fandom for a lot of people that generally don't pay attention to the Hawks or don't pay attention to the NBA there. Um, so I guess that's probably the only thing I'd really plug, but I appreciate you even giving me the opportunity to do that. Well, Chris, you're as good as it gets in the business. It's always one wonderful to talk to you. I look forward to seeing you in person sooner rather than later. Chris Herring, everybody, thank you. Thanks, Ben. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right, let's wrap up by bringing in the one and only Brian Windhorst who had a piece with Timmy Goodtime Bontemps, Bontemps, about the Celtics being stuck in the middle. And bam, that was right before the bombshell of the week, an intrusion into the playoff discourse. Danny Ainge, an icon in Boston, steps down as general manager or president of basketball operations or czar or whatever his title was with the Celtics. And that was one thing. That's, you know... Not completely unexpected if you've had your ear to the ground in New England league circles. Brad Stevens leaves his job as Celtics coach to become the president of basketball operations and run the Celtics front office. That, that was a thunderclap from the gods out of nowhere. And to help us digest what in the hell just happened, I I wanted to take a day. We're recording this on Thursday, midday, East Coast time. I wanted to take a day to make some phone calls, to digest to talk to some people and figure out what the hell happened, what's going to happen. And Wendy was kind enough to join me to be part of that discussion. Mr. Windhorse, how are you out in Los Angeles? I'm thrilled to be in Los Angeles. It's my first time here in 14 months. And um, I just can't even tell you how the, the Mavericks have been staying at the hotel I'm at for the last couple of days. And I can't even tell you how great it is to just be walking around and running into NBA folk and having conversations. Um, through masks, everybody's masked, everybody, you know, but that's been very enjoyable. Um, well, I look forward to going out next week for the jump, and I thought, hey, I'll run into lots of NBA people too because both <laughs> Los Angeles teams are in the playoffs, and guess what? It's Thursday midday. The Lakers could be out in 12 hours, and the right. Clippers could be out in 36 hours, so who the hell knows? Right. Um, yeah, so – I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm glad to be out here, and you will, I'm sure, be very welcomed next week. Um, I'm going to tell you in advance that the size of the table – the table is the wrong word. The size of the spaceship that the jump is now done at, the, uh, the table we all sit at, it's larger than the first apartment I had in New York City. So um, – I can tell on TV that it's gigantic. And actually, I'm, I'm kind of excited for that because I would always get nervous that during some flailing gesture, I would knock <laughs> over Rachel's tea and just the whole, like, ruin her laptop. The whole show would go off the air immediately and it would all be my fault. Now I have space to gesticulate. Well, you know, on T, so on Countdown, everybody sits at their little stations. They're all spread out. And um, Woj reviews his CarMax commercials. And on TNT, the stage, the the, the 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 thing is like 35 feet wide. I don't think Shaq 
can throw a ball from where he sits to where Charles sits. And that's kind of close to what the jump has. And that, obviously, I've seen it on TV, but when you actually see it in person, you cannot believe how big it is. Um, but the Celtics news, the, I, had, I had two questions that immediately popped to mind. One has been asked and not answered, and one hasn't been asked yet. The first question is, how long was this in the works? In other words, Danny probably knew at some point, not this week, that he was going to step down. Did he know six months ago? Did he know six weeks ago? I don't know. And then how long did Brad Stevens know he was going to be the president? Because that seems to be, that seems to me to not be a short conversation. That seems to me there's something that the ownership would have to discuss and um, really think about. And, you know, they did a great job when they hired him uh, uh, being very covert. And part of that is because his agent is his wife. And so um, if there's no agency to deal with, there's less a chance of anything leaking. But I have to assume that this was, you know, this couldn't have just been something that they just came up with you know, during this playoff series. And so that was my first, that's my first question. That is unanswered. I will strive to get more on that. The second question I have is, was asked by Tim Bontemps during the press conference. He, he asked it to Brad Stevens, got no answer, then went and asked it to Wick Grusbach and Steve Pagliuca, the two owners who were there. And they were a little bit better, but didn't give a clear answer. And that is, why is the Boston Celtics franchise better off with Brad Stevens as president and not coach. And I don't have an answer to that yet, Zach. And that to me is what this is all going to come down to. Well, and also why this is a huge job. This is, you are the architect of the basketball team that has won 17 championships and just said that I think Wick just said banner 18 or die trying. And Brad Stevens <laughs> is a great coach. Yeah. He's a great coach. That's objectively true, by the way. This idea that Brad Stevens failed because they didn't make the finals and, and they had a disappointing season this season, which was a, just a train wreck in terms of injuries and viruses and all that. The idea that he failed and he failed up is insane. Um, now, the idea that, whoa, we're just going to give him that job and assume he can do it. And yeah, he'll probably have, well, he will have a staff of very skilled and experienced people, some of whom may be holdovers from the current Danny Ainge staff, some of whom will surely be new. And that staff will help him and he'll have cap people and maybe Mike Zarin stays and whatever and blah, blah, blah. But he's still the guy. And like, there are lots of guys of varying backgrounds and women of varying backgrounds who would be really good at candidates for that job. And, and you really just decided... You know, and the Celtics have a history of sort of being this, like, it's a small staff, it's a family organization, whatever yeah. this is. But and they like, don't have transactions very often. They had Doc for how many years? Coaching transactions, anyway. Well, any, right, you're, you're right. But they, they, Danny's been the president for 18 years. Doc was the coach for the first, what, 10 of that? Or, you know, something like that? And then, I mean, like, he's had two coaches, basically. Maybe three. He fired Jim O'Brien. So he's had like three coaches in 18 years. They just, they don't do, they don't turn over their, their team, which is obviously a good thing, but you know. I just, you know, the, the, it's very, very, it's more than fair to ask. You didn't conduct a search. No one was interviewed. You didn't want to look at outside candidates because Brad Stevens has never done this job before. And it's a really hard job. And as you and Tim wrote in your piece, 
it's not exactly like they're in an easy spot. They're not in a bad spot. I think people are sort of, because of the despair of this season, people are exaggerating the degree to which the Celtics are trapped in mediocrity and not in a good spot and this and that. But they're not in a great spot. They're right up against the tax already. Kemba Walker is a negative contract that will be tough to trade without attaching good stuff to it unless you're trading it for someone else's bad stuff. Uh, you have the Marcus Smart trade rumors that have been dogging you forever, and you got a bunch of young, unproven guys who are fine. I mean, I think if there's one bright spot from the season, it's that Neesmith and Pritchard are, are have proven themselves as rotation players. That's nice, but it, it's not it's not an easy it's not an easy spot. And I think that's a very fair question to ask. I mean, why is he why is he the guy for this job? But Brad Stevens' track record is pretty much like you put me in a job, I'm going to be good at it. So we'll see. Yeah, um, you know, it's just such a big giant. I mean, here's the thing: when you're a first-time executive, you're gonna you're gonna make mistakes. I mean, that's just happening. Mean, all executives make mistakes, but first-time executives they make mistakes. It, it will happen. The, 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 they will screw something up. Uh, maybe it's something small and it's not that big of a deal, but he will screw something up. I promise you. And uh, if he was speaking honestly, he would tell you that. I mean, I've talked with Brad about his first year as head coach with the Celtics and how many things he screwed up. And it's kind of in a joking manner because he's gone on to be very successful, but he'll screw something up. So if you're going to have a first uh, time GM, you know, you know that 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 could happen. Um, so, uh, you know, that's part of, you know, especially for a guy who hasn't worked in a front office before. Um, I am, you know, I, I, I guess we should probably look forward. But, you know, the last couple of years for the Celtics have not been great. Everybody would say, well, they made the conference finals three out of four years. That's true. They did. Um, and they're not the Sacramento Kings. They're not the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm not here to say that. But they have underachieved organizationally um, from what they had. You know, two, three years ago, I mean, LeBron left three years ago and handed them the keys to the conference. And they had great young players, great veteran players, you know, pro promising young players, great veteran players under contract and this bevy of draft picks and the veteran players walked. The draft picks were not traded for anything. They were held on to well, and they ended up and, devaluing. And also the, the golden ship extra picks they had one from Sacramento and one from Memphis turned out to be mid first round, just okay. Picks when it went on paper at one point that, that particularly the Kings pick looked like a, a crown jewel. Yeah. You, you know, you know, the movie swingers, Zach, do I know the movie Swingers? Okay. Yes. You know, I, I honestly, you, your listenership, like, you know, we're in our 40s now. Like, some people may not know that movie. Like, I don't make Seinfeld references anymore. But, you know, the famous thing where they, he talks about, you know, you've got your fangs and your claws and you don't know what you're going to use. You're, you're going to go after, you know, in this case, it's about uh, going after a woman. But you're going to use your fangs or your claws. Which am I going to use? That was like the Celtics. They were like, do we use our fangs? Are all these all these uh, you know trade assets that we have that we can trade to, for for all these guys who want to be traded, or do we use our claws, our our great, um, or, you know, do we draft with these guys because we're gonna we're gonna get high picks and and then we're gonna develop these guys? And they had fangs and claws, and here we are, and now they have two great young players that I agree, but not a whole lot else. And so, again, while they have gone to the conference finals and and threatened and had a lot of wins, and there's been a lot of wonderful nights at TD Garden, not particularly in this last 18 months, but but here they are. And I would argue that from where they were four years ago to where they were today, this is an unacceptable outcome. And that's they, they part of the reason like, why Danny is gone. That's part of the reason. 
they look like they could be contenders for a decade. Um, that's that's how well stocked they were, and a lot of things went sideways on them. I mean, I think it's it's not it's not a secret to say I think their plan A was Kyrie Irving and then Anthony Davis. I think that's what that's what they envisioned. They obviously didn't get Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving left, and that's that's it's hard to plan on on things like that. Um, but let's so let's talk about um, the idea that Danny Ainge had all these draft picks and didn't do anything with them because for a lot of people that's going to be his legacy. The the, the Boston Celtics almost trade right, mm-hmm. and so 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 the names that people will remember, the almost trade all stars, the Danny Ainge almost trade all stars are Jimmy Butler and Paul George, both of whom centered around I think the 2017 trade deadline, and then Kawhi Leonard in the summer of 2018 when he ends up getting traded to Toronto. And um, we can we can look at all of those, you know, two of those guys now play for the Clippers. Um, we, we can we can look at all those independently if you want, but I do think it's important to note. Well there was also and there was also Anthony Davis who who they had the assets to trade for, but whose father came out and said, after what happened to Isaiah Thomas, my son does not want to play there. He did everything short. Anthony Davis and Clutch, let's be frank, did everything short of wearing a shirt to the game that said, I will not re-sign with the Boston Celtics. Don't <laughs> trade for me. Okay? Right. So I don't know how you count that one. I they know. Did- I'm, just, I'm just, you know, like maybe Anthony Davis didn't want to play in Boston, but that's a, what happened with Isaiah Thomas had a tax. So, so that's that, and that's really interesting because for all the well, he didn't want to make big trades. That was a big trade. Isaiah Thomas and what the pick that became Colin Sexton for Kyrie Irving was a big trade. And when it happened, people thought the Cavaliers won the trade. I didn't. I was one of the people saying I think the Celtics probably won this trade. I think it could work for both teams. We didn't know the extent. I don't think at that point of how injured Isaiah Thomas was, but that was considered a risk for Boston. Isaiah Thomas was coming off this incredible year. That pick was a Nets pick. And that was that was a, a big trade, and you know it, it clearly. I'm I'm trying to breathe so that I don't explode. Go explode because in this last are you, week, are you practicing like <laughs> I'm trying to yoga? I'm trying to. Um, in this last week, uh, Kobe Altman, the general manager of the Cavs, had a press conference where he basically painted a very rosy picture for the team, which I happen to disagree with. Um, but this is not a Cavs podcast. Um, but one of the things that he said was, you know, that they didn't have anything in the cupboard when LeBron left. That trade and this, you know, Danny Ainge will be known when he goes away for the championship that he won as the president and the trades that he made. He made two or three of the, of the most impressive trades that you'll ever see. Um, and you absolutely cannot take that away from him. And, and that's why his last four years shouldn't, determine how his tenure is looked at. Okay, that's the preamble. Now let me get to this. The, that, that Isaiah Thomas-Kyrie Irving trade was confounding in the moment, and it gets more and more confounding, and nobody ever talks about this. When they made the trade, I was in Rome. I remember this. I remember you tweeting from Rome yes. about a potential divorce proceeding. Yes. I, I, to be honest with you, there was a member. I was leaked to the trade by someone in the Cavs organization who was absolutely dejected by this trade and didn't care that it, you know, wanted it out there. And so I actually was able to, you know, the trade was being broken in details, but I put it out there. 
Um, just to go over this, the Celtics trade for Kyrie Irving. Absolute celebration in Boston. This is going to be amazing. It's Everything's joyful. Isaiah Thomas arrives in Cleveland. The doctors look at him and say, guys, his hip is so bad, we don't know if he can play this season. So at that moment, the entire NBA was aware that, that Isaiah Thomas was very badly injured. The that trade the in- stopped. The trade That's stopped. right, and this is what I'm talking about. So if you are the Cleveland Cavs, you now know that the player that you traded for, the, 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 he was your replacement for Kyrie Irving, I know that they were going out for the pick, but they needed the point guard to play that season. You now know that he, unfortunately, is very injured and may not recover. And in fact, I'm sorry to say, has not recovered. He has never been the same player, which the doctors at the Cleveland Clinic saw. And the Celtics had already celebrated getting Kyrie Irving. Now, this is a disastrous situation for Boston because not only are they about to lose this guy they just traded for that has excited everybody, but now the trade asset that they traded, Isaiah Thomas, now everybody in the league now knows that he is unfortunately very badly injured. This is a terrible negotiating position to be in. And here are the Cavs going, oh my God, now what are we going to do here? You know, we're, we're really disadvantaged. This is not the trade we negotiated. It's only the most important trade in team history. Um, boy, what should we do about this? Hmm. Oh, look, well, Boston has Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and all these first round picks and boy, they're in a rough spot right now. If they don't get this deal, then they're going to really be, you know, up blank Creek. And I know that Kyrie's threatening knee surgery. I get all that. And their negotiation was. Just send another second round pick. Second round. Another second. That aspect of the trade is never talked about and, in my view, unrecoverable. And whether that was Kobe Altman or that was Dan Gilbert or that was some mind Jedi stuff that Danny Ainge apparently plays on, guys, I would imagine that Mike Zarin may have run down that ramp that, you know, there's a big giant ramp that comes up where the buses come up at TD Garden. Yep. I imagine when they got that trade done for just adding a second round, bogus BS second round pick, that he would he ran down that ramp and did three laps around, um, you know, the TD Garden before running back up. And that, you know, Danny Ainge was, you know, doing backflips, proverbial backflips. I mean, for them to get out of that trade by only adding a second round pick, and I hate to have digressed this far. I'm sorry, but like that never gets brought up, and it's insane that the Cavs okay, did that. So they trade for Kyrie. Uh, let's let's go through the the ones they didn't do. Paul George. Okay, at the trade deadline, this was reported at the time, and I confirmed it at the time. At the trade deadline, Steve Bulpin of the Boston Herald at the time was the first one to report it. They offered a pick swap involving the Nets pick in that draft that became the number one pick in the draft. So they offered essentially the number one pick for Paul George, didn't get a deal done. So don't tell me that Danny Ainge didn't offer anything because according to the most trusted sources, and I confirmed it, yes, they offered I, the number one pick I, in the draft. I made reference to this and was was kindly pointed in the right direction by the Celtics. They made a real offer. Jimmy Butler, it was hard to pin down exactly what they offered. 
And hovering over both of these situations was the fact that Gordon Hayward was possibly likely coming to Boston and there was a cap decrease that factored into the Paul George stuff. Kawhi, Kawhi was gettable for them. There's no question about it. It would have cost them Jalen Brown and lots of other stuff, but Jalen Brown was the swing piece potentially to get Kawhi Leonard. They didn't do that deal. And look, people want to make that out to be an easy decision. Of course you trade you trade Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard 10 times out of 10. Well, even if you know he's leaving, which I, th- I think everybody thought Kawhi was leaving, whoever traded for him, unless it was one of the LA teams. And so you can't, I agree that the Celtics were probably a little too risk averse, particularly with Kawhi. And there are people within that organization who wish they had taken a shot on Kawhi, right? That's, that's the people, not everyone, not a majority, just people. And, uh, but you can't clown them for holding out Jalen Brown and saying, we're not trading him for a year of Kawhi Leonard, which is basically we're championship or bust that year. Toronto had no kind of pressure like that because they're not championship or bust. They're like, we're not trading anything that we particularly care about long-term. So if we don't win the championship, no harm, no foul. We tried. We got off DeMar DeRozan's contract and we traded Jakob Pertl. Big whoop. And I like both those players. It's just not the same thing. You can't clown Boston for keeping Jalen Brown out of that trade and simultaneously clown the Clippers right now for having traded the farm for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and maybe losing in the first round and staring at this abyss of hell where you've traded every pick, all the extra picks you had from Miami and Philly and other places and young players for a championship window and failed so far. Now they're down 3-2. They may come back and win this series. They haven't even failed this year. But that's that's the downside is you trade everything and you don't win. And again, the Clippers aren't there. And yes, Kawhi was younger than, than he is now. Paul George was younger than, than he is now. Jimmy Butler is younger than he is now. But like those were real decisions and again they offered what became the the Markel Fultz slash Jason Tatum pick for Paul George they didn't pull the trigger on Kawhi they did offer four first round picks for Justice Winslow back at that draft which was ludicrous in retrospect I just think the record is a little bit more complicated for this idea that Danny was just sitting on all these draft picks doing nothing I agree every single situation is nuanced and they can defend all of their situation like they can defend each one of those as they go down I'm just saying Four years ago, as they sat there, having made the Kyrie Irving trade and subsequently landing Al Horford and all of those all of those picks and young players to where they are today, the path that took them there is not an ideal way to go. No, they're in a they're in a tough spot now. The talent drain is real. They miss all those veterans that have left from Kyrie to Horford to Hayward and and, and but they still have Tatum and Brown, and that's not a bad place to be. They had two pieces of bad luck. Uh, one, Gordon Hayward obviously breaking his leg. Terrible, terrible fortune. And they signed Kemba Walker, a guy who'd missed like 30 games in eight years, and he missed he's missed 50 games in two years of shortened seasons. Um, you know, obviously, Charlotte was concerned about giving Kemba a max contract because they were concerned about him. But even Charlotte, I think, would admit that they didn't know, I don't think they did, that he would have this many issues. Um, the other, the other thing you, you did your preamble before about nobody can take the championship away from the Celtics and Danny Ainge, and nobody can take the the Tatum trade away and the KG Nets fleecing away, right? And I'm glad you said that because this this actually this annoys me actually about Joe Dumars too. People 
like by the end of Joe Dumar's tenure in Detroit, and it did not go well. Like Charlie Villanueva, Josh Smith, Ben Gordon, we can go on. It was like it was not good, right? And, and and the end of Danny Ainge's tenure did not end the way he wanted. You can't like yeah, but the championship. You can't. That's right. You can't. You can't yada 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 the championship. <laughs> Joe Dumars wasn't a yeah. Joe Dumars wasn't a genius who became a moron after the 2004 right. NBA championship. You can't give me all this Danny Ainge stuff. And be like, oh, but yeah, we have to mention he won the 2008 championship. No, the championship is the whole That's right. thing. You always say the grade for a trade if you win the championship A plus. That's it. A so cha- I, winning I, all, a championship of- means never having to say you're sorry. So all I'm saying is this: you can see, you you don't get to put. The Kevin Garnett trade, you want to talk about Minnesota and Kevin McHale and did they get a favorable deal? Whatever. They had to, they traded like real stuff for Kevin Garnett. They got Kevin Garnett. They got Ray Allen. They swung for the fences building that big three. You want to you, you, you cannot just minimize that in paragraph 10 of Danny Ainge's general manager tenure. That's paragraph one. Agreed. Tatum Absolutely. is paragraph two. Garnett is paragraph three. Those are all-time great transactions. And it, it annoyed me with Dumars too because Dumars was – Dumars was pilloried by the end. He was mocked. The two phones thing became the, the <laughs> Joe holding two phones became this iconic image of incompetence. I'm like, wait a second. This is the guy who built the the all time um, the all time anomalous championship team, the one that didn't have a quote unquote top ten player at least in theory. The guy who swung the Rasheed Wallace trade. You, you, we're just gonna forget about that and make fun of him. That's not fair, Zach. I would argue that between about. 2000 and 2003, Joe Dumars, maybe it was 99, whenever, I don't, I guess 99 was the Grant Hill when Grant Hill left. Between 99 and 2003, Joe Dumars had one of the greatest runs of decisions in the history of general managing. Um, he, he, he traded, he traded Jerry Stackhouse, Rip Hamilton. He, uh, you know, Grant Hill said, I'm out of here. And he got Ben Wallace in that deal. Um, signed Chauncey Billups to a six-year contract at a, at a number that was crazy. The six-year production that they got out of Chauncey in that contract was dollar for dollar, almost as good as any free agent deal you'll ever find in history. Um, and, uh, you know, drafted Tayshaun Prince like 27th overall. I mean, you know, yeah, there's the Darko thing for sure. But, um, I mean... They, yeah, I probably should have led with that in the list of Joe Dumars' <laughs> but, bad moves. <laughs> but seriously, Joe Dumars was absolutely, uh, you know, untouchable for for many years. But um, no, you're right. Now I always say that winning a championship never means never saying you're sorry. And that's one of the things I've learned. I'm almost I'm almost 20 years covering the NBA. You know, covering these teams that won it or covering the playoff runs of the teams that won it. It's so hard. I mean, in perspective, it's not hard like brain surgery. It's not hard like you know creating the the coronavirus vaccine I, I i'm not comparing it to that but within the context of professional sports it is very very hard to build a, a championship a basketball team and and to then actually win it so many things have to go your way you know i was just talking with robert ori um who was talking to me about with injuries like his championship teams you know he won seven he was like those years we won the championships like Nobody even had a sprained ankle. You know, he's like, he's like, he's like, he remember he was talking about one year the Lakers won. He goes, Kobe missed like, you know, two games and that was it. Everybody else was fully healthy. So many things have to go right. So, so what it takes to raise that banner 
is so is so meaningful that I I think it's 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 not only an insult but it's it's not fair uh, when you when you ignore that. And so the Celtics winning that 2008 title is uh, I mean that's Danny Ainge's crowning achievement because he built that team from scratch. It was you know he you know he, Rick Pitino and and Paul Pierce almost walking out the door and wanting to get traded and within a couple of years they're holding the trophy. I mean that's for sure, for sure. Uh, you know, and you can, and you, in fairness, in this job, because you know Danny Ainge just paid millions of dollars, and and the stakes are high. Everybody knows it. You can say Danny Ainge was brilliant in those things, and say over the last four years, he didn't get the most out of it, and it contributed in, to why he's out. I think you can say in, both. In totality, Danny Ainge's tenure is an undeniable success, without question. With, with, with even with what happened in the last few years, undeniable. Success. Even you know people people pick nitpick the draft record, and that's fair, right? Like there are a lot of misses from Yabuselli to James Young to R.J. Hunter to Fab Mello and on and on. Kelly Olynyk over Giannis, I think. Blah blah blah. But in in some ways, he was a victim of his own success in acquiring picks because if you get so many picks, you're going to miss on a lot. And the Ringers, Zach Cram, I mentioned this a, a couple months ago, did this study on draft every GM's draft record based on what production do I expect from each draft slot. And who, based on where they picked, whose picks outperformed or underperformed expected production by the most. The Celtics rank right around average. Is that good? Not necessarily, but it's not bad. The draft record isn't bad. Tatum and Brown alone are are huge hits. And that was that's the thing that I wonder if Brad Stevens will, will be like Danny. Danny was one of the few GMs left in the league who just didn't care what anyone thought of him. He, he legitimately didn't care what anyone thought of him. And he well, was willing to, to, to think he, Danny, Danny Ainge marched to the beat of his own drummer. He had his own taste in players. He had his own way of evaluating players. Um, and he was willing to, to think a little bit outside the box and take risks. He wasn't afraid to get made fun of. He wasn't afraid to get criticized at all. He went on radio every week. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> and you can bet everyone else in the Celtics front office was listening to those appearances being like, Danny, don't, don't, D Danny, stop, stop, this. Danny. I will say this. Do you know how much, how much balls it takes to trade the number one pick, the number one overall pick? Yep. That talk about balls to do that deal and then actually smash it out of the park and say, listen, our evaluation is this Tatum kid is better and we're going to do this. I mean, um, and, you know, Danny's competitive nature, obviously, was, was I mean, you know, Zach, a few months ago, I, I was researching something. I was writing on Riley and Ainge. Um, there is a, you know, you should do a, this is something our, our friend Bill Simmons would do, but you, 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 this is something you could do too. Do you know there was a brawl between the Suns and um, Knicks in like 1993, when I say a brawl, it's not like one of these things that they say today where, you know, the guys all stand around and look at each other in a, in a huddle. Um, the Suns and Knicks were both a, they had the two best records in the league. They played on national television. And midway through, like, the second quarter, Danny Ainge kicked off a brawl that ended up with everybody on the – with people on – like, seven Suns got ejected. Um, Riley got his pants torn. Riley ended up on the <laughs> ground. Pat Riley's pants were torn. And by the way, those are probably like $800 pants. Zach, if this happened today, we would cover it on SportsCenter 24 hours straight. And then it would be a talking point for literally six months. Um, and I went back and watched the replay of it, um, the SportsCenter highlight. And so keep in mind, 
this is this would be like if the Nets were playing the Lakers on like a uh, on a Thursday night in February. I mean, the two best teams. I know the Lakers aren't the best team, but the two high-profile teams. The, the the Suns were loaded, you know, and um and in that game there was a brawl where seven guys got ejected. One guy was not even was on the bench in street clothes. I can't even remember who it was. He comes out on the floor. He's injured. He gets in a brawl and is throwing punches, and he gets ejected. They ejected guys who were not in uniform. Riley has to change his pants at halftime, and it it gets covered on Sports Center like in ninety seconds. And the brawl is Linda Cohen reads the highlights. She's like, then in the second quarter there was an all-out brawl, and Danny Ainge and Pat Riley threw punches at each other. Then now let's go to the second half action. That's how it was covered. <laughs> Angel's like legendarily competitive. I remember he got fined during one of the Celtics uh, Cavs series. He got fined by the league because in Cleveland he was sitting in his, his courtside seats behind the basket. And when the Cavs were taking free throws, he was throwing a towel like 15 feet up into the air behind the thing to um, – to uh, uh, you distract, to distract him. Did, and did then he claim afterwards that it was just a coincidence. I yeah. feel like he tried to, yeah, he tried to know. make up some. Excuse. But then this is funny. Then, like the next day, like from a clandestine email, I got the clip, like some clip from the Cavs, like some in, inner inner arena camera. Look what I found, you know, signed Deep Throat. It was the calves leaking me. It was Gilbert like leaking me the clip so that I would, you know, talk about it and, you know, but you know, and then I remember Ainge and Riley going back and forth still one of the most amazing um, quotes of all time is Tim Donovan, the longtime head of public relations for the heat in new Orleans. Ainge had said something on the radio about LeBron and LeBron was headed towards free agency and Riley wanted to like make a stand. So Pat Riley sent Tim Donovan out to the media and said, I have a statement from Pat Riley. This is unheard of, you know, that they're going to make a statement, you know, verbally to us. Um, Danny Ainge should bleep off. He actually said the word bleep off and concentrate on his own team. And we were just like stunned. Like, wait a minute. This is an on the record quote from Pat Riley and Tim Donovan was like, I said what I said. And then Ainge fires back at him. I mean, he's a legendary brawler. I mean, he doesn't care. He's, he's, you know, I'm not insinuating that he, you know, had a bad, you know, he missed some opportunities here because he was not deeply, deeply going after it. You know, it just, it happens to all of us, you know, at the end, Zach, you know, ESPN is going to show us the door at some point, hopefully uh, longer than shorter. I had Danny Ainge on my podcast during the last dance and I, and I went back and watched some of the 93 finals between the Suns and the Bulls. And he's like in MJ's face, like agitating him all the time, shoving him extracurricular trash talk. I mean, he just had no fear of like poking the bear, so to speak. If there, by the way, there's an argument. We'll wrap with this. There's an argument that Danny Ainge should be in the Hall of Fame. As as if there were this sort of like there this this is what hurt Rudy Tomjanovich's case for a long time, and I was a big advocate of Rudy Tomjanovich getting in. Is there's no category for like you were pretty good at lots of stuff, pretty good to really good at lot. Like Rudy Tomjanovich, I think is a three or four time All Star, was a great college player. Then of course the Kermit Washington punch derails his career, cuts it short basically as as a productive high level All Star. 
good coach, great coach, two-time champion, but short tenure, relatively short tenure. So just like in Danny Ainge, between the playing career, the front office career, the college career, like there's an argument that if that category existed, he would be in the Hall of Fame. I don't, um, with all due respect to the Hall of Fame, I, um, I have no, I, and I know several people who are on the clandestine, not to be revealed committee that the death, uh, eaters. The, the death eaters the committee are you on the committee and not telling me i don't know you'll never know yeah right um you know it's so clandestine i have no idea what the criteria is i mean there are some years where like 37 people get in and you're like oh okay that's your that's your uh, strategy that sounds good and then other years where it's like you know like for example i think chris bosh is a ironclad no doubt hall of famer and I mean, he is, he's in now, but like, I, I, you know, I was told like in the first vote, like last year, um, you know, when he was up for the first time, they, they like were like, huh, he's not going to be a first time hall of fame, huh, get him out of here. You know? So I don't, I don't understand, um, the criteria, the, just, just for the trades that Danny made, um, you could, you could uh, argue those were, those were hall of fame level trades, some of those that he made. So, um, well. Enough Celtics talk. The Celtics yeah. are eliminated from the postseason. Uh, we have big series to come. We'll be leaning on each other for analysis of those series. Mr. Windhorst, enjoy Los Angeles and, uh, Thanks, and have fun. Safe travels. You too.